and it's about time for true crime what is up you guys hello how are y'all happy tuesday happy tuesday indeed i am so stoked because episode one of the john benet series came out last week and people are freaking loving it we love john benet we're excited that you guys do too we're excited to see it in the news again we're excited that they're finally might be some kind of resolution i know it it is finally like inchworm progress on something that has been so far away from our grasp forever and unfortunately there is an update that i wish i didn't have to give but i'll give that in a little bit oh, but no. how was your week how have you been doing the week is going well living the dream yeah you know how it goes snugging my cat as i do love it how about you? Mia. I'm good. Newton's been good. Um, he's been loving the garden out on the porch right now. Oh. He's like chewing every cucumber leaf he can fit in his face. I love that. Um, otherwise, you can Morse code it on your... No more Morse code shits from him so far. But like, I feel like it would be so him to like eat your plants and then do that. Yes. No, it is true. I am shocked and I will say grateful that he knows his limits with plants because <laughs> he will take like a bite out of anything. And if he doesn't like it, he's like, mm, it's whatever. <laughs> I think my cat. So I had this spider plant that I don't think is like toxic to cats. She's never like had an issue. But anyway, I had left it in my car in the winter overnight and it died. Boo. Or I thought brought it back <laughs> and then it like didn't grow like it was still green and I'd have these like little stubs and I was like what in the world so I moved it to this higher spot and now it's flourishing and it turns out my cat would just like every time it got like even like half an inch long she'd just bite it off <laughs> so I always just thought it was like stunted I love that so now if you look over there you see it it's like completely fine oh well fun fact actually um spider plants are hallucinogens for cats oh my god so me it was just tripping balls <laughs> <laughs> that's so bad newton ate so my friend seth who i love dearly moved. hi seth hi um he moved and i got a bunch of his spider plants and i combined them to make one big spider plant and then newton took Is that, that how spider plants work <laughs> i guess <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're tiny. They're not really that big. Yeah, so, so they're all in one pot. Mm-hmm. So there were so many, and they were all babies, because Seth was like, oh, I'll just give it. And he was like, you know, if you want to keep any, do it. But, like, you can put it to, or bring them to a plant shop that we liked. And I was like, oh, that's cute. So I intended to bring some to the plant shop. I combined a few. The ones that were babies that I did not combine did not make it. And I don't know if that was a soil thing or a me thing. It might have been either. But then the combined ones... Newton just like freaking face dove into he was like let me at him oh my goodness he was like it's a fun Friday night I don't have work tomorrow let's trip balls that's him all the time although he does take <laughs> his his duty of guard cat very seriously oh good okay he watches the porch all day long for birds and squirrels to you gotta protect them from birds and squirrels it's true to pounce on the windows <laughs> yes there's nothing funnier than like seeing a cat launch itself at a window thinking it's going to get out. It's so true. And also just at little animals like we have the bird feeders and obviously I've 
like a little herb garden on my porch. So there will be like squirrels that'll come out and roll in it or do like a dirt bath. And Newton will just launch at him. And I'm like, my guy, you've never gotten there before this way. Have we not thought of any creative ways to get around this? Apparently not. Nope. But anyway. It's consistent. We appreciate it. It's true. So things are good. It's a good, you know, late summer vibe. I know. And I say this every time. I'm just excited for it to just get a little bit cooler. I know. Like 72 degrees. Oh, with like Perfect some sun and then like some clouds and everything and just like sit outside listen to your favorite podcast <clears throat> this one thank you and hang out chill a little bit light a little candle it's true i'm really excited outside, like outside, outside. And lighting. i mean okay those are the day vibes and we get back oh my gosh we oh, bake. best feeling fucking ever in the world freshly cleaned home candle lit on the stove windows open so that you get like that crisp fall air coming in read a book read a book and like in a cozy blanket yes but you make such a good apple pie oh thank so you. so i'm thinking like go apple picking during the day come back right yeah it's true my ideal house scent is either olive oil with onion and garlic <sighs> or baked goods but like fresh i love homemade. that like oddly specific garlic you, and oil you know exactly what i'm talking about too it's at the beginning of any single fucking thing you do that's italian and it's just browning onion and garlic oh my god if i could just mm, wear garlic as a perfume honestly i love what we do in the shadows but i would be such a shit vampire because i would not stop eating garlic I love that show so much. Have you guys seen that show? You guys really would like it. Let us know. We we love that show. I was crying at one of the more recent ones. Um, Don't give it away. Have I'm not going to give any spoilers. Oh, my God. You need to see it. Can I you do that tonight, the, please? I didn't see the most recent one yet. Okay, because this is from the most recent one. I'm just realizing. But Laszlo and Nadja come up with a delightful song. I love so, that <laughs> I'm just going to need it to watch it. It was like I was tearing up, crying, laughing at it. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Fucking guy. Fucking little guy. <laughs> oh, anyway, guys. Oh. So we can get right into John Bonet today. I like what you did. Thanks. I didn't mean to. It just happened. There it was. There it is. There it went. Okay. So here's what we're going to do, you guys. I have a fat 11 pages of research in front of me right now and we're going to I believe split this up into two parts unless I am super good and get through it in one but I doubt it so today we're going to be going over the investigation of the John JonBenet Ramsey case if you can even really call it that which I wouldn't unless I had to to identify it which I do so are we talking about what happened in the 90s or are we at right now we're at 90s okay so we're not like present day correct okay so what i wanted to start with was an update on the 2022 news of what's going on in the john Bonet case then i'm going to move to what an investigation should look like when it's done right and then we'll kind of get into what went wrong in the john Bonet investigation and if i'm planning my life right which guys god i hope i am the second episode will then be all about the john benet ramsey investigation and the specifics of what happened and how that went wrong off script so like episode three you mean 
of the yes. series? Okay. So series episode three would be more of a deep dive into that specific investigation. I think you guys should stick around for this one because we will talk about the major themes that went wrong. But also, we're really going to look at what an investigation should be because I think you need to know that to know all of the things that went wrong. Absolutely. And I am not in law enforcement, nor do I aim to be. Um, I will never say never, but that's not my goal. So I did a lot of research on investigation in law enforcement, and I can't even tell you how many of these things. So first of all, law enforcement policy, from what I could find, was pretty outdated. So what I have here is actually what would have been available right around the time of the crime. That's what I was going to ask you about, if this is like our current policies or if this was common practice back then. There will be multiple .gov resources that I used, and both of them are from 2000. So not exactly 96, but four years later, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of variety between places in their policy and procedure. Sure. Which leads me to believe the majority of this was known at the time of the crime. Oh, cool. Okay. So first things first, let's get to the update. The update is that the... If you guys remember, John Ramsey had requested that they start looking at DNA again now that the technology has been advanced and that there is still evidence from John Bonet that could have been tested to potentially help us identify and narrow down a suspect pool. And this is John Bonet Ramsey's dad saying Correct. this. Correct. John Ramsey. So, oh, also a heads up, you guys, this episode and going forward, I think I did a good job last episode. But just so we're all clear, if I say John Ramsey, I mean the father, John Bonet Ramsey. And if I say John Bonet Ramsey, I mean the daughter, John Bonet Ramsey. Who's the victim in this case? Correct. So it's John Bonet and John. Yes. So John had asked for John Bonet to be retested for all of the new DNA technology that we could use on any of the old evidence. And we didn't get super into this. We will in another episode about the evidence. But <laughs> once we get there, we'll learn more about what was on her. But she did have DNA under her fingernails and in her underwear. So there's plenty to go around, if you will. Oh, that's um, terrible. Was that a dad joke? Kind of. Oh, no. I didn't Already. even mean it. Already. Oh, you just poor sweet baby angel. Yikes. But... I mean, like, yes, they can test it, but ew, that's not what I meant. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Um, so the I, I'm surprised that I didn't realize it was the dad that's pushing this. Yes. So we'll learn in the investigative deep dive basically how everybody here wants this crime to be solved. And there's such a problem with ego all around that has really caused, in my opinion, one of the biggest rifts in this investigation that made it go cold so fast and resulted in all of the faux pas that happened. Okay. So John, who had been asking for this DNA research, especially as John Bonet's birthday just passed or what would have been her 32nd birthday if she had gotten past six, um, and he was calling for them to take some of that evidence out to retest it. He even offered to pay for it, um, which is kind, I think. But I mean, it's his own kid and he's loaded. So I mean, you'd hope. So during an appearance at CrimeCon, uh, which is a convention for true crime fanatics, in case you guys didn't know, 
um, he was asked what he had done to help find his daughter's killer, who has um, obviously yet to be identified. He said he has offered to pay for the testing of DNA evidence, but has been turned down. Interesting. And then I found a response from the Boulder police that said DNA from multiple suspects has been run through the system over the years as of this past December. So what would have been December 2021? The Colorado Bureau of Investigation has updated over 750 reference samples with the latest DNA technology, adding DNA is regularly checked for new matches. And um, they had also said the investigation with federal, state, and local partners never stopped. So the one thing that the Boulder Police Department says over and over and over and over and over again is that there's like thousands of interviews that they've done on this case and it's true it's true i'm sure but the thing is how it's true but it's not getting us anywhere and it hasn't for 26 years clearly interviews and talking to people isn't doing it it hasn't this far yeah and if it would have i think we would have known before 26 years went by yeah, I mean, at this point, I feel like we run the risk of the person having moved, the person having died, maybe the person having been incarcerated now. Well, exactly. And I mean, I don't think they're incarcerated because if they have her DNA, it, I mean, if it was a prison, they would definitely have the DNA to cross-reference. True. But yeah. um, death, for sure. Moving, possible. Possible that they died randomly and, you know, nobody knew who they were and they lived a fine, happy life other than this, which would suck, but it's possible. Which is also highly unlikely, but, you know, we shed light on all of the yeah, crazy possibilities. So there's just a lot of things that it could be. And I'm kind of disappointed that that was so shut down, especially since it was offered to be paid for by John. And... it doesn't honestly seem like he's the kind of guy who's ser- like yearning for more funds. So it's nice that he's able to do that. My question would be trying to look at like all different sides of this. What if they didn't want him to fund it? Because then if it turned out to be his or something, well, if they found anything right, then people would point fingers and say, well, of course he paid for it. So it must have been someone he picked to investigate or something like that and sort of run this new narrative. You know, people will say that. People will say that. But the thing that we'll find in the next few episodes is that that's been the only way they've actually been able to do anything is on their own because they were so cut off from everyone involved in the actual investigation. Yeah. It's been nuts and regardless of the theory you subscribe to of who did it which once again it's going to be a deep dive we'll get into those too I promise but if you are someone who believes that the parents had something to do with it that is fishy because you're involving yourself in the investigation right Um, but also if you don't believe that there are parents who are trying to figure out who the fuck killed their baby Mm -hmm. and nobody cares about them like they care about John Bonet, right and not the parents and not the family because once somebody's name is thrown out in a comp- in a conspiracy theory suddenly any of their grief gets a whole lot less valid for some reason yeah I'm hoping the Ramsey family stays off reddit <laughs> oh yeah absolutely that would not be a fun place for them right now no but 
So let's get into the actual investigation, how investigations should go. So I wanted to start first with the standards that I found from 2000. And essentially what it does is it walks you through what has to happen when you do a crime scene investigation as law enforcement. This is a policy and procedure manual given to law enforcement individuals. I'm not going to lie. I did not find a state or a town so I'm not sure that it is like a specific police department's policy and procedure this might be like maybe federal agents it could be federal and the other thing to keep in mind is that it could just be an extra for lack of a a better word yeah a reference for any police departments because it might not be in action federal policy it might just be like this is what we recommend policy be Or that your policy reflects what's listed here. Exactly. So there's a few different sections that we'll go down. We'll talk about. The first one is arriving at the scene. What police should be doing for their initial response and prioritization of efforts. The next thing we'll talk about is the preliminary documentation and evaluation of the scene. Followed by how they process the scene. Then completing and recording the crime scene investigation. And that's where we're going to stop because the rest of this is like how to document and how to be, you know, decent at the administrative part of policing. Oh, my God. Admin policing is so boring. So boring. I promise for every five minutes of action they have, there's five years of paperwork to make up for it. Seriously. It is so much paperwork. So let's see. First things first, we're going to get into the police initial response and receipt of information. I'm just going to be reading some of the things they are meant to be doing. I'm not going to go word for word, but a lot of this is from the manual, so I don't fuck it up. You know, (laughs) it is in the resources, though. Y'all can read it yourself. I promise. Um, So for this first section of that arriving at the scene, the initial response and receipt of information should include a note or log of the dispatch call that happened and what dispatch has as information. Um, Initial responders are to be aware of any persons or vehicles leaving the crime scene. Approach the scene cautiously. Scan the entire area to thoroughly assess the scene and note any possible secondary crime scenes. Mm. Beware of any persons and vehicles in the vicinity, period. Not just leaving. So now we get there. We're walking around. We say, okay, let's not let anybody go. But now we're going to take an inventory of everybody around, even outside, just to like do assess who's who you know yeah, and to be aware of your surroundings and so any then, potential danger yes so they want to have their officers make initial observations look listen and smell to assess the scene and ensure safety before proceeding for everyone involved um remain alert and attentive assume the crime is ongoing until it's determined to be otherwise so assume that illegal acts are still happening until you have confirmation that the illegal part is done and we're now in the aftermath Next, we want to treat the location as a crime scene until assessed and determined to be otherwise. So basically, if a police officer is called upon initial arrival, he's going to look around, see what he can see, or she, whatever. They will look around, see whatever they can see, and just sort of get tabs on who's around, what's going on, and they are going to treat it as a crime scene. It should be closed off. It should be taped off. Things should not be coming in or leaving without permission because 
like we see in this investigation, this initial piece is so pertinent to keeping the integrity of a crime scene and any evidence that you have later on. It's just so pertinent. So until you can know for a fact that this was not a crime scene, you should treat it with that, you know, safety over protection kind of thing. And they run the risk of getting the case thrown out or something f- later on if they introduce evidence or any other kind of thing into the scene that isn't supposed to be there and now it's well that's there what else did you put there or how else did right. this get here or how did that happen yeah and so it's just difficult i can empathize a lot with police officers in this realm because you don't know what you're walking in on and so everywhere you go you're going to treat with vigilance and that doesn't always get perceived well but also and i'm not going to make any comments on any like current events going on with law enforcement. I just mean that I would be scared shitless if every time I got called somewhere, I didn't know if it was an active crime scene. Yeah, you have no idea if the perpetrator is there. And a lot of times, unless the caller says that they're armed, you don't don't know if they are. You have to everything. You have to have the, I guess, maybe the, the hope that it's fine, but the preparation that you're walking into something very dangerous. Exactly. And you have to be on alert for that. And so with the foresight that anything that is a crime scene will have to be documented and put into evidence and done with a very specific set of rules for each jurisdiction and location, um, I understand needing to like fully secure a scene. So then we're going to go to the safety procedures. So what do you do once the once you're there and you've got a grasp of what's going on? The officers are to ensure that there is no immediate threat to other responders. So that would, I don't know, like that the guy who just ransacked your home isn't running outside and like beating up anybody in his way, that kind of thing. If the situation involves a clandestine drug laboratory, which is one of my favorite sentences. Oh my goodness biological weapons or radiological or chemical threats the appropriate personnel or agency should be contacted prior to entering the scene re chernobyl (laughs) so if you walk in and there's like this glowing green slime you should maybe like back out slowly yes very (laughs) slowly because i'm pretty sure that also means predators around (laughs) in which case bolt yeah well you're not gonna make it out of there predators (laughs) around but good luck um So just important to keep in mind that they also are risking their own safety. But everybody there is pretty much in a crime scene. So then the officer is to approach the scene in a manner designed to basically reduce harm to officers while maximizing security and safety of everybody else in the area. They're supposed to survey for dangerous people and control the situation. And lastly, notify anyone if they need backup. Which makes sense. Makes sense. If it was me personally, I might call for backup if I know I needed that after the first step. Mm -hmm. But technically, in the guidelines, you don't have to until this one. So then we get to emergency care. This is, I would give it an asterisk if you show up somewhere and there is somebody who needs emergency care. It's necessary. All first responders have the duty to preserve life. It's it's true, including police, even though they're not the ambulance that comes, but the ambulance, firefighters, anyone who's on that first responder leg of things is going to make sure other people are safe and well before they are. The expectation for them is that 
civilian life is preserved before their own mm-hmm. and before that of their fellow officers that's that's how it goes yes and so because this isn't a huge thing in the John Bonet case I'm not going to get super into it if you care awesome if not Basically, the emergency care part of the police procedure with investigating crime scenes has to do with making sure that medical personnel come in a timely manner and get everybody that they need to. So you would probably need to round up how many people need medical attention and let them know when you call and also making sure you properly document. But more importantly, and I would venture to say most importantly, if there's medical emergencies going on, is getting a way to have the person's name and or contact information written down so that way they can follow up with that person after the fact. Um, It's not fun to wake up in handcuffs in a hospital, but if you're waking up with handcuffs in a hospital, you're waking up, and then you can answer questions and go or not, depending on what happened. So Right. Then we're going to go to secure and control persons at the scene, which is the next step after that, which I would venture to say maybe you should... I don't know. I would maybe put that in the safety thing if it was me, but I understand the prioritization. Obviously, if somebody needs medical attention, that's first. Right. And they, and with medical attention comes them securing the scene because they can't have any other first responders on the scene until that right. scene is deemed like safe enough for them. Yes. Like, I don't know if anybody here here i don't know if any of you watch gray's anatomy or anything but i think there's been one or two where there's been like a natural disaster that prevents the ambulance or whatever from getting there or you know god forbid like a bomb blows up and you can't get into the place where all the people are that need the help you have to know that kind of stuff first so yes that is one thing that always gets me about first responders is that the only information they have is what dispatch has which is a lot of times incorrect incorrect incomplete or just i'm freaking the fuck out get someone here now and they're like cool what's happening what are we responding to like i can best handle this if i know what's happening yeah and that's super eerie i i could not be a police officer i don't have it in me i'm not brave enough (laughs) i'm not brave enough to be a police officer i would venture to say i am certainly not coordinated enough to be a police officer but I really could not be a dispatcher because I would want to know the follow-up for everything. I'm so fucking nosy. I'd be like, girl, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Why you do that, though? Spill that tea. What was that? I know you're okay and everything, but, like, why did you, like, key his car? Could you just, like, tell me about it? I'm just, like, he just sounds kind of like a dick, and I just want to know. Like, fuck him, totally, but, like, why? Yeah, and then I'd call him, and I'd be like, so fuck her for real, but, like, what happened? (laughs) Why did she key your car? (laughs) I would not. Um, But just, (sighs) I want people to be safe. So secure. Being a dispatcher does sound very, I mean, that's just, that's a lot to take home. And all you have is that call. It's a lot to process with no closure on any of it. And I think that's what would get me. I can handle a lot. Obviously, you know the kind of phone calls that we get at our job. Oh, absolutely. The crisis phone calls are literal crisis phone calls. But... It's also having that ability to see the other side of it, to make sure that you're helping that person get through it the best they can with what they have. And that is usually what is able to kind of calm me down after something like that is, okay, was I able to respond in a way that was helpful, in a way that was decent and humane? And I'm sure that's what they can go off of with the phone calls. But after that, you don't know what happens. Right. And 
I am not comfortable with that sort of uh, handle on the fact that I have no control. I love control over things. And I know it's an illusion, but I like to keep it that way. You so. liking control? I don't believe it. <laughs> Earlier today, literally today, I was like, oh, I got to make a list. And Allie was like, you, a list? No. <laughs> like... <laughs> Okay. All right. Stop distracting me. Oh, my me. God. I'm sorry. <laughs> so then the officers are supposed to secure and control the people at the scene. Controlling all individuals at the scene prevent people from altering or destroying physical evidence by restricting movement, location, and activity while ensuring and maintaining safety at the scene. Identify all individuals as in identify who the suspects are, who the witnesses are, bystanders, victims, family, and friends, and medical and assisting personnel otherwise. There's going to be a lot of people at a big crime scene. And as we see with the John Bonet one, there's a lot of people in the house during this initial investigation that had these steps been done a little closer to the book and or a little more effectively and efficiently, we might have a different answer today than none. Hmm. But that is not a promise. We can't know what we don't know. So after this and sort of... Figuring out who everybody is, identifying the people that are there, controlling the scene, controlling the people, making sure that, you know, you're keeping the integrity of what's happening. Then the police officers are supposed to establish boundaries and identify, establish, protect and secure basically everything going on. So people, evidence, location. In questioning the people in and around the scene, they are supposed to establish where the crime occurred, figure out potential points and paths of exit and entry to the location, places where the victim or evidence might have been moved, which is important because if you have evidence that is going to help you with a theory based off of a geographical location, you need to make sure that that's where it was originally placed and where it was originally found is mm -hmm. how you're analyzing that. Then they want police to set up the physical barriers, like the ropes, cones, crime scenes, fairy tape, all, all of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Okay. Next page, you guys. So <laughs> then they just obviously continue to document. And the one thing that I made a note of here was that this was the only section in the entire policy that had a note at the bottom, like a section called note, like keep this in mind. And it said, persons should not smoke, chew tobacco, use the telephone or bathroom, eat or drink, move any items, including weapons, unless, unless necessary for the safety and well-being of the people at the scene. They're supposed to, or they're not supposed to adjust the thermostat, open windows or doors, maintain anything that you can the way you found it, touch anything unnecessarily, don't do that, note and document any items moved. Rep don't reposition moved items, litter, or spit within the established boundaries of the scene. Which basically means, if you're investigating a scene, fuck your comfort. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. That's it what also, it is. It also sounds like they just want you to float around. Yes. Well, and I get it. You don't want to interrupt anything oh, that could course. be helpful. But I don't, I don't know how you could do this with a normal-sized scene and investigation with, like, I don't know, a couple of police officers there, maybe a witness, some victims. In like a living room or something. Yes. Let alone with a four fucking story house. Yes. Because even just doing a walkthrough of the house is going to mess some of that shit up. Like there are doors that are closed that you're going to have to open and then reclose. Yeah. And you're going to have to take photos of every single thing. 
Oh my gosh. I did an internship with this like arson seminar thing that goes on around the Northeast for a bunch of like EMTs and firefighters. And it was super fun because we got to set fire to buildings legally. Um, <laughs> and it helped the police officers like train their little dogs for where the accelerants were. And it helps police op- or it helps firefighters figure out where fires might have started. And I don't know. It was really interesting. But one of the courses that they offered or like little short seminars they offered there was on crime scene photography. And I ate that shit up. It's so interesting. It is super fascinating. And not like any other kind of photography that you see. It's not meant to be expressive. It's not meant to be artistic. There's not really a point in the photo other than just trying to get a very realistic depiction of what you see. It is just trying to be depicted as it is. And it's fascinating to look at how they do that. You know, with the little cones with the numbers of evidence and the extract accessories or whatever you need for camera stuff. Like the logistics is interesting to me, but also the product it's funky oh my gosh not the point so the point is you can't do shit in a crime scene and they had a bunch of people doing a bunch of shit in this crime scene so there was shit can't take a shit can't take shit you shouldn't Mm -mm. none of it none of the shit so basically this note says that you can't smoke chew tobacco use the telephone use the bathroom eat move anything adjust anything Open windows or doors. You can't touch anything. You can't reposition anything. So float. 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 And then lastly, what I wanted to talk about here is the turnover of control of the scene to whoever's coming in next. So where I'm going to leave all of the law enforcement talk is at the step where they turn over control of the scene to whoever's investigating further. Sometimes this could be like private investigators. Sometimes it could be detectives with the police department, maybe even just the next shift. But sometimes it's also higher up officials like the FBI or like a state police. If you're in a town police and you need some more resources and, you know, the jurisdiction has changed Mm -hmm. of who has control over the whole case, which is also something we're going to talk a little bit about today. Not a ton, um, but essentially enough to know that in law enforcement and in investigative practices, there are different agencies and people that do different parts of this. So something to keep in mind is that different investigative agencies have different jurisdiction over crimes that have different places, crimes that happen with different amounts of people, different specifics. It's kind of exactly what you think in that the more resources a department has, the more they're able to cover. So a lot of times, like if you watch Criminal Minds, you know that there can be some animosity if the FBI gets called in places. Although while that part is pretty accurate, it is not accurate usually that the FBI can come in and solve a case in like and two days without any other help. And it's those but. particular people that are the ones that apprehend them and, and yeah. all of that. But it also matters like if if the duration of the crime crosses town lines, state lines, things like that, that adds to the pile of law enforcement agencies that are going to respond and that are going to be in on this. Right. And in that same breath, kind of wrestle for power and not necessarily saying that all of them want it, just, you know, that can be where toes get stepped on and that can make for some hurt feelings and cranky people because they are also people like... (laughs) 
and they've also probably been awake for 36 hours and yeah and (laughs) it was the end of their shift when this happened so even though they were on a double and they were supposed to get eight hours off now they can't because god forbid anything happens not in five minutes until your shift ends so exactly anyway not the point i think that's a pretty good overview of what an investigation should look like i think we have a pretty good idea of kind of the course that is set out idealistically for what a police officer can do when he or she arrives on a crime scene. Yes, I think we have the basics down. Thank you. So then what the fuck happened with Jean Bonnet? What the fuck? So let's just zoom right back in to December 26th, 1996. It's cold. Everything sucks. You'll see on our Instagram page what we posted for the first Jean Bonnet episode. And... Just the photo of their home with the Christmas decorations outside, but covered in the caution tape and everything marked off is just so sad to see like little candy canes and the little lights and it's just it was supposed to be such a happy time of year and she was probably so excited and I know like the day before it was Christmas. I can't even I oh it it turns my stomach and looking at photos of her. There's a sadness in her eyes and some of them that just trauma eyes are hard to miss. Like, you know, a trauma face when you see a face that has seen trauma. It's horrible. It's hard. But you're right. And she definitely had her fair share of it, even at six, which fucking sucks, because as if I think one of the things that also draws me to this case is that as if it didn't suck enough for her to be murdered there was all of this exploitation and shit that she had to go through before then it's like i don't think that her parents at least at this point having not heard everything that you're going to tell us about but i cannot say i think she was like severely abused as a child i think she was exploited i think she was exploited and i would venture to say as far as i know right now as it stands i think the thing that her parents are the most guilty of is negligence when it comes to her well-being in terms of like stepping in when something happened and by that I guess I just mean that whenever they did find out about something it didn't seem like it was at the top of their list to prioritize JonBenet's happiness and health mentally the same way they would physically yeah I mean I think even looking at the physical changes yeah. That they did. I mean, very produ- provocative clothing, shoes, it damage to her hair. Yes. That's the one thing that is hard for me because out of all of this, dying hair under the age of 10 is just nuts to me. And not that like your kids shouldn't have the ability to express themselves like that, but the idea that you are going to keep up blonde hair on your six-year-old the amount of time it takes to bleach the roots to put on toner to actually dye it if that's what they're doing it takes a long time it's smelly it doesn't feel good to sit there that long I can't imagine a six-year-old being great with that because even me like a few years ago getting highlights I was like oh my god I'm so bored the other thing is too is when you bleach your hair that like is painful it's itchy i don't know if you've ever had to bleach your roots but that shit hurts it's just yeah the whole my whole head always itched every time i (laughs) dyed it which i probably should have said something but then i knew it was gonna stop so i didn't but 
I'm good now. The it's other thing, just chemicals, harsh, harsh chemicals on a six-year-old. I know. And for me, you know, like I think if, if I had a kid who really liked the color blue and wanted to put like a little blue streak, well, then maybe I would allow like a semi-permanent. Right. You know, like one of those those fake like washout ones because it's a child and by tomorrow they're not going to want it. But this wasn't a little six-year-old saying, I really want super bleached, blonde, teased hair. God, this, I wish I looked like Farrah Fawcett, mom. This wasn't her dream. This wasn't what she wanted. This wasn't self-expression in a child. And at the end of the day, she's still a little kid. That isn't. There shouldn't be anything that's even like semi-permanent that you're doing with a baby. It's true. I mean, for me, I think we found these funky like purple the same kind of idea like it had three or four washes in it and then it would come out of your hair kind of thing which was great because by that point you didn't want that anymore you wanted a different color you wanted something else right or I just didn't care anymore and that's fine so I think even if she did want the blonde hair like even if that's something that she was like I'm very obsessed with this and now I'm hyper fixated and I'm a six-year-old and give me what I want we also have to look at how she was raised. She was conditioned to want those things. She's conditioned to see herself competitively against other girls. And regardless of whether or not she projected that into family stuff, regardless of whether or not she really felt a harsh competition with other girls, it was so normalized in her house. Like we said, Patsy, Miss West Virginia, 1977. John Bonet's aunt, Patsy's younger sister, Miss West Virginia, 1979. Like, it's just the roots run deep. No pun intended. I was just going to say that. Because her roots never were deep. <laughs> they were always up to date. And that's the other thing that just makes me sad is it's stuff like that that reminds me it was not a passion. I love dyeing my hair. It's red. It's never going to be this natural red on anybody. So I promise you it's fake but I get roots that are like four or five inches out because you know what I don't want to do on a random Thursday night after I worked a long day and I know I have to get up to go to work tomorrow is dye my hair because I see a damn root and this six-year-old never had roots that should say something I don't even think that the parents were malicious in this I, I don't think that was their intent and intent means a lot to me exactly um you know was your heart in the right spot or whatever? I get the sense that Patsy grew up like that. Her That's how she was raised. It was sort of that. It was a family thing. She did it. Her daughter will do it. And this is that. And maybe maybe even by the time John Bonet was seven, maybe, pa- maybe pageants weren't going to be her thing. And that's not what she was going to do anymore. And she could have stopped. But right. we'll never know because she never got to seven. And the other thing here is, again, I said it before. I don't harbor any resentment that you'd want to share something you love with your child. But if you have a child, I think it's your responsibility to sort of introspect on where your generational trauma is coming into play and how you're putting that on them. So God forbid, you know, this was everything that John Bonet wanted and more. And Patsy was just doing her best to make this little girl happy and fulfill the dreams that she had that she was succeeding at right now. You know, I don't know enough about Patsy's life to know what her childhood was like, but maybe she always wanted blonde hair and thought that would make her win a pageant. And so doing it for John Bonet was an act of love of like, oh, uh, for me as a kid, this is what I thought was going to help. So let me help you that way. And even the best of intentions can really fuck with your head like that. And Absolutely. Both, I guess physically in this way and um, 
metaphorically, but I don't need to go too far down this rabbit hole. We are back at the day of the crime. Oh my God. Where did, how did we get there? Beats the fuck out of me. Well, so guys, stop distracting us. Seriously. You know what? I'm so in love with the cat photos that you keep showing us, but you're really getting our attention away right now. Okay. (laughs) Do you mind? So it's December 26th. We're going to do a brief rundown again. It's 5.52 a.m. John Bonet has been kidnapped. Patsy wakes up. She finds the ransom letter on the stairs. She calls the police. And the first question has always been, is the FBI called in? Do we know what happens immediately after police arrive on the scene? And the answer is yes, but no. So I watched a crap ton of interviews with a retired FBI agent, Ron Walker. So he was one of the FBI agents on the case at the time. Hmm to my knowledge and he says that the fbi was called around 9 30 that's like three hours after the initial 911 call which isn't the worst you know if you have to think about calling dispatch getting somebody out in the police car getting to the house figuring out what happened at the house reading a ransom letter where you think it's a kidnapping and then calling the fbi So it makes some sense that it would take a little bit of time. It just seems kind of like a stark difference in multitudes of hours. So people get to the house at the same time. Police have called a victim's witness advocate group. A few of them show up. The Ramseys have some friends. They show up. I don't know if you remember anything of what we just talked about, but you're not supposed to fucking do that. You're not supposed to let anybody else there. People that are already there can stay. Yep, and everybody else hit the road unless you're going to work on solving this thing and making sure people are safe. And unless you've got, like, the badge that says that you can investigate this. Uh, Yeah, that's an important part of that. Yeah. (laughs) So, there are so many people here right now. They are not necessarily the most experienced or the older officers and professionals that have been studying this and doing this for a long time because again it's Christmas so we got all those good rookies because everybody else has seniority to take the days off and spend with their family yeah the higher ranking people already have the day off these people are just supposed to kind of I don't know clean up crew (laughs) right and as someone who has been at my job for multiple years and is still well I guess not still the most recent hire but one of our most recent hires That doesn't mean that they're all inexperienced and don't know what they're doing, but it does mean that you don't have that experience. It is a difference in worked experience with those positions. And even if you have all the experience in the world, maybe you haven't dealt with a family in panic with a novel of a ransom note and a McMansion and a family with power and money and and all of that that goes into that. So, right. So this is kind of a clusterfuck right from the beginning. (laughs) Sounds like it. And at the home, the Boulder PD does do a search. This really gets me. So they go top to bottom, right? Fourth floor, third floor, second floor basement. Um, So technically it was three floors above ground, but with the basement, it's a four floor home. Mm -hmm. They do a search of the whole house. The top floor, the fourth floor is just uh, the parents' bedroom and John's office. So... Patsy and John's bedroom leads into John's office, and that's the entire fourth floor. The next floor down, to my knowledge, is both John Bonet and Burke's bedrooms and some playrooms. Then the actual main floor is, you know, the living room, dining room, kitchen, that whole 
mm-hmm. jazz. And then you get to the basement, and what it really looks like is maybe there's a place or two for the kids to run around. There's the washing, laundry stuff, and then storage, just like shitloads of storage. Mm-hmm. So in doing this walk through the wine cellar that John Bonet's body is found in, the door is stuck. And so Boulder PD just fucking leaves. They just don't do anything with it. So that's when they're doing the investigation and they first walk through, they just say, huh, door stuck. Guess we got to go. All right. Okay. So there's that. Which is contradicting too, because at the same time, it's like you're encouraged not to force anything open because you want to preserve it as it is. But then also she was in there. Right. For hours and hours and hours, which again, it does kind of depend how you view that based on what your theory is after the crime of who did it and all of this. But in the same exact fucking breath, hours and they were right there. They were hand on the door. You'd at least think they'd walk around the outside and see if they could see in through like the windows and stuff if they couldn't get that door open. Or ask any of the fucking party upstairs if they had a key to the door downstairs or if it normally gets jammed and if it's sticky or if that is intentional. Because you don't know. It's not your fucking house. So anyway, we get to 2 p.m. A couple hours have gone by. By this time, John has already found JonBenet's body. So by the time the FBI gets there, he has already found his child's body, Hmm. which just fucking sucks. And this is his second child that has passed away. This is his second child that has passed away. He had a daughter that was, I believe, older when she passed, but um, kind of a teenager, young adult from what I found who passed in a car accident. That's just like... Yeah, super Burying, sad. You're not supposed to bury one child, two? Two. And I know that there are a lot of feelings as to his participation on this and a lot of differing opinions. But regardless of any of that, you should not ever have to put your kids in the ground. That's just terrible. Unless you're burying them in sand at the fucking beach and then laughing about the mermaid tail you drew them. That's, that's it. That's about it. Period. Anyway. So no, it's horrific. Yeah, it it is. It makes me very sad and it makes me really angry because obviously if he did have a part in this, I understand the skepticism and the issues being like, oh, so he must not have cared. But we don't know that. And I think it's a pretty heinous thing to just put on someone that they didn't care that they had to bury their kid, their six year old. That would break me. What did she weigh? Maybe like 30 pounds? I have no idea what kids weigh. More than 30, but probably not more than 80. But she's like, look at her. She was just like this tiny little thing. I know. My guess would be like 62 pounds. Oh my God. You like placing a bet? No. (laughs) Just like thinking. So. (laughs) So there are a couple of things going on. Ron Walker, that former FBI agent who I do believe was on the scene, he was saying that letter from the bottom of the stairs, that ransom letter, there's language in it that made him think that she was already dead when it was written, which is interesting. And we'll get into that more with the evidence. But there is a lot of language that comes up in the ransom letter. And you guys, I do have the whole thing to read you, which is very exciting. Right now? No. Like today? No. Oh. Sucker. But... 
Looks like you'll have to stick around. Oh, no. So, typically, ransom notes are for monies or other goods that make it worthwhile for keeping the hostage alive. So, in this situation, it would have been John Bonet. And actually, because it was initially thought to be a kidnapping, that's why the FBI got called in. Oh, that was the reason. Gotcha. Yeah. So they got on the scene. They did not think it was a murder scene. They thought it was just the kidnapping with the ransom note. And they were like, oh, FBI deals with like big things like this. So they called the FBI and then they found the body and the FBI got there and they were like, psych. Now it's a murder investigation. Oh, no. Um, so there's like a whole day. They literally send the FBI home. And they wait 24 hours before they call them back on the scene, which is just 24 hours of lost fucking time. What the hell? Uh-huh. Oh, it, it gets worse. Oh, good. So there was a quick summary that I found on. First of all, I don't know if you guys know this. There are billions, not maybe, maybe not billions, but there are so many John Bonet Ramsey like websites of all the things that have happened. And many of the things that I found are pretty much spitting images of each other. And I try not to take anything from a place that isn't a reputable source. But there was one on biography.com that linked every single article from the things it said. So I'm taking that as relatively credible. There is backup and resources to where these things came from. Something that was interesting to me was that in the early afternoon, one of the first detectives on the scene, Linda Arndt, is the one who's credited with telling John to go search the house from top to bottom. Oh, no. But it's not noted anywhere else that she's FBI. And the only place that I saw like that I saw that was in one of the interviews, I think. So I don't actually know if she was a police detective or an FBI detective. Interesting. And she's the one who said, go search the house. So because I- Colorado PD, Boulder PD, got a ton of heat. Yes. With the assumption that they were the ones that had instructed him to go look yes they did and there this really only adds fuel to the fire there is such a war going on here between agencies like immediately after this first day Mm. it just fucking sucks so linda aren't the detective that tells john to go search the house actually it looks like john and fleet do you remember fleet white from their party the next door neighbors yeah because i could not believe someone would name a kid fleet exactly yes so fleet it seems like it was john and fleet that searched the house and when i initially heard the story you guys i don't remember what it was on like if i was watching something which i probably was but it could have been a podcast it could have been a number of different things that I heard this but I do remember the first time I heard it I thought it was so weird because they were searching together John goes right to the place where his daughter's found and then he pulls fleet like come look what I found oh and that I didn't see in here that he like went and got him and was like come see this but it is so interesting to me because this is one of the only other places that I've seen them mention that fleet searched with him Interesting. So I'm kind of curious to know what actually happened there. If I do find out anything in like set in stone, I'll let you guys know. But right now, that's kind of a question mark for me. Where was Fleet during this? If they're both searching. And I I don't want to be hypocritical because there's so much commentary on how the family reacted and all of that fuel to use to try to accuse them of things. But I feel like... 
trying to put myself in his position, I feel like I would just fall to the floor. Yes. I don't know that I would have words. I don't know that I could leave the room and say, hey, come look. My gut reaction, and it's probably... Well, I would say it's good he didn't do this, but we don't know if he did. I would... If that was my loved one, I would go to them. Yes. And you destroy evidence that way. He destroyed evidence when he picked her up. He destroyed evidence when he brought her up the stairs, but... At the same time, you know that that's a parent. Right. And that's that's their dead child. And so it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that he's just like, hey, look at this. I'm sure not in those words, but right. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know how I would react. I just think it wouldn't be that way. Right. So I think that is an important thing to note when it comes to how the Ramseys reacted. A lot of it's fucking weird. I'm not going to lie. Like, it could be really sus, but it could also just be parents reacting to their dead six-year-old. And I don't have one. I would like to never have one. A six-year-old? A dead six-year-old. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm I'm saying, like, I don't know what that's like. No, and you cannot fathom what that I hope I can't. Like. I hope yep. I can never imagine that. Yeah. And in that sense... I don't ever want to say that a reaction to that is wrong or incorrect or that there is a specific correct response to that because I think that is what happens here a lot. People who subscribe to the Ramseys did it theory, there's plenty of evidence that we'll go into, but one of the main things that pulls people to this is the weird reactions. The ransom letter says don't call 911 or we'll kill your daughter. So what do they do? Call 911. John finds his daughter dead downstairs. What does he do? He like makes sure people know and he moves her body. And yeah, if it's me and I'm my I'm a mom and my kid's missing, I'm probably going to call 911 like, hey, someone has my fucking kid. But if a letter says don't call 911 or we'll kill her, I don't know what I'm going to do. If I find my dead six-year-old, I'm probably going to be like, yeah, somebody better fucking get this guy. But if I did it, I don't know. Maybe I would try to mess up the scene. I don't know. And there's so many things in this case that I feel like the public's commentary is kind of like they were damned if they did and damned if they didn't. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Again, just as, for as many people as they said this was an appropriate way to react, just as many people were saying this wasn't. And I think it's less about there's a right way to react, but there's a lot of wrong ways to react. It's true. And with that, I was actually going to read a quote with what John said, talking about finding John Bonet. Ooh. In an interview with ABC News in 2000, he said, I knew instantly what I found. I found my daughter. She was laying on a, lying on a white blanket. The blanket was wrapped around her. Her hands were tied above her head. She had tape over her mouth. I immediately knelt down over her, felt her cheek, and took the tape off her mouth. I tried to untie the cord that was around her arms, but I couldn't get the knot untied. Oh. Which, I don't know. That really, that always breaks my heart. I forgot that the tape was across her mouth. And I have to think that if that were my kid, I would want Immediately. to free her of that. I would want to take off the the tape on her mouth and however her arms were bound. You want to like free your loved one. Like you think that that might make it better or help or save them or whatever but i oh yeah it's just it makes my heart ache so keep in mind this is before 2 p.m this is before 2 p.m in the fucking afternoon on the day after christmas 
it takes the coroners until 10.45 p.m. to remove her body. What? So she had to lay on their couch. I assume still tied because they're probably not going to let him touch the body after it's upstairs. Wrapped in this white blanket for eight and a half hours. I did. That is so fucked up. What? Mm hmm. Oh, I fucking hate that. So what? They just like tuck her in on the couch and just wait for them. I mean, were the were the medical examiners on vacation or it literally beats the fuck out of me. I'm so sorry. If you can come over at 845 on the 26th, you could have come over at three. Don't make those parents look at that dead child for eight and a half hours. And from a purely just evidence, I mean, you could literally not give a shit about the kid. Right. Right. You can absolutely do that and still say, I don't want to lose this integral evidence. Yeah. Because we don't know how long she's been dead for. And the sooner you get her somewhere, the easier that is to find out. And also, the more is preserved. I mean, your body breaks down, right? You can't assume that there's not a ticking clock on the evidence that you have there, which is a horrible thing to say. And it's insensitive. But it's because, true. Yeah. I mean, sometimes the logic in it has to be a little insensitive, but it is true. You need that. So <sighs> John and Patsy have a take at this point in time already, which is Basically, they knew they would need to be looked into. But in one of the interviews I saw with them, Patsy said something to the effect of the further down they were on the course, the course being that the parents are the primary suspects, the harder it was to back up and say, maybe we need to look elsewhere. And I think that's probably true for the detectives or police investigators that were there that day. I don't know later on, but it sure as hell seems like the Boulder PD really thought it was the Ramseys without any interest in who else it could have been. And you also have to wonder, because I try to play devil's advocate in like everything that we're doing, right. but I wonder if there was an energy in there. You know how like there's just some people that give you the creeps or this uncomfortable feeling, and that's not enough to base that off of, but we're encouraged as women to like trust our gut if that guy over there as nice as he may seem seems super creepy we're encouraged to not interact and you know put some distance like you trust your gut you trust what your like subconscious is to, yeah and yeah what those signs are from within i guess and so it just makes me wonder if people were like this is really weird. They get this note. They call right away, even though it says not, without even a beat to think about it. They call their friends over. Right. This guy finds them and or finds the daughter, and then here we are. Right. That does all sound fishy. And if that coupled with the fact that there is a dead child on that couch now, I can't even like I. I don't know. I wouldn't. There's not one person in any of the wor- things that we're talking about here that I would want to switch places with. Nope, not one. It turns my gut. So I want to end this one by just saying at this point in time, there's two schools of thought. People either think the Ramses did it and the evidence can't be linked to them because they reside at the home, which is the crime scene, or. It's thought that there was an intruder, but the Boulder PD contaminated or missed whatever was left of evidence. Okay. 
So we're going to leave that there. And then in this next part of the investigation deep dive, we're going to talk about all of the politics and the way that the different agencies kind of fucked themselves over here. Ooh. Ooh. Also, hey, agencies, don't come after me. I, I respect you. I respect your life and your work. And we need to get this done. And that usually happens with swallowing our pride. So let's Ooh. figure that out. Ouch. Shots fired. I'm just well here's the other thing I don't want a what I would call legitimate critique of the way this was handled to be taken as my stance on law enforcement or these specific agencies as a whole I think the people that were on these cases at this time missed a ton but I'm under no disillusion that the same people running these agencies and making choices now are the same people that made the choices I disagree with during the investigation. I just want that out there because I think it can be hard to separate sometimes. Yeah. Especially with longstanding agencies like government agencies and law enforcement and all of that. And people can say this PD sucks and maybe it did once upon a time. Maybe it still does, but maybe it doesn't because everybody's been turned over. You know what I mean? And people change or mature or learn more or get educated or... Right. Keeps going. The list goes on. There are a million different reasons why there can be a million different changes. And that is okay. I just want to throw out there that I think this crucial first 24 hours fucked the investigation for a long time. Yeah, I think it's going to be really difficult to come back from that. It is true. So with that, I will leave you with the investigation part one <laughs> which is John Bonet Ramsey part two and then part three will be investigation part two so just work that one out because I can't <laughs> so what we gave you guys today was an overview of what some typical investigations are supposed to look like or at least a rubric for some good guidelines and policies around what investigating these kinds of crimes should look like and then applied that to what actually happened in the John Bonet Ramsey case and we've gotten as far as her body has been found and removed by and removed from the home so that's where we're leaving you yep and next we will get into all of the fuckery of politics and then the investigation further and all of the things that that brought on Woo! well mm -hmm. thank you for giving us this next segment in this part two is much juicier i'll be real um i think the bulk of my excitement comes from the evidence and sort of reading through that and you guys will probably hear that i'll be like and then this and then that and then this and then that and then this and then that and then that and then this and i'll be very excited but I also think the investigation, all of this, adds a really interesting context that otherwise doesn't normally get talked about with the John Bonet Ramsey case. And I think it is a very helpful lens to add. Yeah, you have to understand what the expectation of an investigation is to realize how this one didn't meet those expectations. Very, very far below the bar. So, so thank you for that very good next installment of this deep dive. And we'll see you guys next time. So, yeah, that's where we're leaving you off. Um, but, you guys, okay, now that we're done, you can distract us again with those cat pictures. Could you send those to us on Instagram? Oh, my God, we would love that. Our Instagram is 
about time for true crime pod with periods in between all of the words. It's about time for true crime pod with periods in between all of the words and a word for. Yes, not the not the numeral, you guys. Which is so weird because we actually did put that in our Gmail, which we did. I know. God only knows if that was a good choice, but it, our Gmail in case you're wondering cuz you're looking at me with that like what is email face? I have my pen and paper right here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's about time numeric for TC at gmail.com. Okay. Now, was that a good idea? Uh, I doubt it, but we did it. We did so. it. And there's no going back now, you Sticking guys. Sticking to it. So please tell a friend. Yeah. Tell your mom if she's okay with fuck and, you know, awful subjects. Thanks to my mom for telling people about it. Hi, Abby's mom. Hi, my mom. I love you. (laughs) So we appreciate you guys hanging out. We love all of your feedback. Tell a friend. Share this on your cute little stories. Give us like a little rate and review. We would love that cute little follow on Spotify. I hope you guys know that we do fully just enjoy reading through them. Like it makes our day. It does. It really does. So happy to hear any comments at all and please you kind of are slacking you know who you are if you've got a cat and you haven't had a picture yet and i don't want to not talk to you but i'm kind of borderline pissed like i will hold a grudge you will i'll it's do true. it i'll do it and i just think that a you don't want an italian woman to be mad at you that's just scary but you don't, you don't need that shit no you're gonna be talking all emphatically and using your hands and probably accidentally end up slapping me oh my god i'm doing i'm doing that italian hand thing you know exactly yeah i didn't even i don't even have to describe it y'all know it you do you do you've seen it if you've seen me you've seen that you're not wrong i like (laughs) (laughs) i like it okay oh my gosh you guys just look at your watches i did and you're right it is it was about, about time, time for true crime. crime. All right, bye. Bye, guys. Later.